You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Samuel Juni, or Professor, if you would like, from Yerushalayim, Iraq, Um Sam, uh, Iraq, Kodesh is a good way to start because we're going to start talking about things which aren't so Kodesh, at least not in the classical sense. A number of uh, days ago, uh, you sent me a uh, YouTube video of a comedian. I think his name is Ari Sheffer. Is that his name? I think so. Sounds about right. Yes. And it seems like he has been um, uh, targeted uh, in the forward and in other places for his type of humor. Targeted in a way, meaning that there's people who are up in arms about it. I didn't see the whole program, but I think it's about 90 minutes called, I think it's called Jew. And uh, I guess he's one of the, you know, we, we, Jewish comics, of course, is something that the, you know a lot about, and even I do because of my knowledge of pop culture. Jewish comics, Jewish stand-ups, it's almost like something that was created uh, by Jews, almost. Whether it's Lenny Bruce, Billy Crystal, Don Rickles before him, and others, Jackie Mason, Shecky Green, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And yet, this fellow, uh, unlike, I think, his predecessors, I wouldn't even call him his predecessors, because there is no Yiddish atop on this fellow. This fellow uh, starts off all guns blazing uh, about how ridiculous and uh, our religion is, and he really takes a lot of shots at Jews in general. I think to the mirth and great amusement, and perhaps even belly laughs of, of his audience. And I, I guess I wanted to revisit this topic with you, because we talked about humor about two years ago. And I know this is an area you've worked on a lot. So this phenomena, of more than the insult comic, more than the Jew sort of saying, oh, you know, the mannerisms and, and, and making fun of sort of the, let's talk about the unique and sometimes silly things that every culture has. This idea of of really laying it on how soulless and how dead and how ridiculous what Jews do. Do you see this as, as an outlier? Or do you see this as, as an indicator of what's happening in the zeitgeist? There's so many options for people to tune in and see things. But do you, do you, are, are you troubled at all by this, uh, uh, not just the raunchiness, but the, the, the invective, the venom, is spewing out of, of, of this type, these type of comics. Personally, I'm not troubled by any of this. Um, I think whatever implications there are or effects there are from this are around in other kinds of um, social upheavals that are going on. But just let me say, this is part of a genre. Lately, there have been a number of um, comedians who've been accused of um, just pushing the envelope too far and saying things that are very un-PC-ish. So I'm sure you know the names of various people who have been doing this for other religions as well. So he's not very different. You know, of course, it's Jewish, so it, it strikes a chord with me more than with others. I mean, I have a number of reactions to what's going on, but it really has to do with the, with the, a lot of the theoretical work I've been involved with, with um, humor in general, and especially self-deprecating humor, 
which uh, Freud saw self-deprecating humor as stereotypically Jewish, but you see it in Black societies as well. And the question really is, what's going on here? What's the purpose? What do people find so funny? So my first point is just that what people find exciting or titillating about this is simply pushing conventional limits just to the point of being accused of being a racist or a bigot or an anti-Semite or a misogynist or whatever, but just to the point, but not quite there because then they add certain kinds of ingredients which neutralizes the venom saying, well, I'm not just knocking me, I'm taking a point to knock the Catholics also, to knock the gay people. So it's it's um, kind of, um, shall we say, washing it. I mean, it's either pink washing or Catholic washing, whatever kind of washing you want, which says, no, this is not, I'm really just a pantheistic anti-person. I just make fun of everything. Well, or, so that's, that's my first reaction. Let me just respond just for a second here. There was a, a Jewish comedian, his name didn't indicate he was a Jew at all, but we knew he was Jewish, Andrew Dice Clay. And Andrew Dice Clay, I think in the 90s or late 80s and 90s, was also a very aggressive, uh, negative comic. And he would actually uh, throw his barbs at blacks and, and gays. What I think is different, you know, I don't think Andrew Dice Clay would have an audience today. And the reason is, I think, the we, I talked about the zeitgeist a minute ago. I think if somebody would do a, a concert, a comedy concert, or whatever you call it, that would target gays the way Schiffer, Schiffer targets Jews or Blacks, it would be outlawed, uh, YouTube would take it down, it would be considered complete hate speech, and it would be, you wouldn't be able to get a gig. I think oh, no, but, fact- but you see, we Jews are very tolerant. We're more tolerant than everybody else, and we show that we're of a higher caliber, that we don't stop someone who's like um, doing stuff all over our face. Or we're considered part of the empowered white elite. And therefore uh, we, we can be taken down, but you can't take down gays. You can't take that, you know, and and I think that's part of, if if he would do, if if a Palestinian comic would come up and talk about, and, and both of us know what life is like for the Palestinians. Forget about the threats from the Muslim world. I think that would also be he. That would not be a comic that would be given much of an audience. Okay, so okay, so we have to uh, put in a cardinal qualifier here, and which has always been around the um, differential in whether certain kinds of comedy is allowed or not is whether it's intended to be in house for the group itself or for the general public. So, I mean, just as an example, uh, many of the Borscht Belt jokes. Even the Jackie Mason jokes, if they were not done in vaudeville style in the Borscht Belt, but were done on Broadway, they would be considered objectionable by Jews as well. And in fact, Jackie Mason's stuff on Broadway is not so in-your-face anti-Jewish as his stuff was in the Catskills. And um, the same is true for Black humor. If you listen to it in Black humor... Every second word is an invective. The N word is used all the time. And with pride, even, it's not knocked at all. But yet, if you were to tell that kind of joke in mixed company, many black people would get very upset. So it's hard to tell with a guy like Ari. It definitely seems that he had a number of 
yeshiva guys or ex-yeshiva guys in his audience, because I saw some of the references he had to um, Basar Bachalov and things like that. People knew what he was talking about, but there was clearly non-Jews there as well. So I'm not really sure whether the Jews were a way of Jew washing his humor and therefore say, okay, it's intended for Jews, but we'll let some guys in as well. I'm not really sure what the style is there. I'm not recommending our listeners uh, take part in this. Uh, no, no, it's quite, it's quite, I mean, just objectively, it's quite offensive and quite primitive in terms of the scatology that's used. Mm-hmm. And again, that reflects what's going on in, in general humor out there as well. I mean, the most sure. of the general humor these days, the invectives are offensive to people who don't have an ax to grind. But, but it, it does seem from the 25 minutes or 20 minutes that I was able to stand, I didn't sense that he was talking to us. It wasn't like, you know, a batchen who's making fun of Rebbe Shishtik or making fun of Pishivalite or the difference in Svartim and Ashkenazim. I think that there has been in the Frumvelt, especially with the rise of media and of WhatsApp and other things that everybody has. So Bardak, they make these quite, I think, very funny little lampoons that are very good-natured, but pretty much eviscerate in many ways um, sort of the pomposity of of the different sects wow. among us. Um, there's a, a beautiful one about Svardim and Ashkenazim, uh, and it, it, it does it in a way that at, at the end of these little vignettes, they're always very happy and they're smiling, but I think people could watch that like a Purim play and say, wow, you know, these were very good points. I'm happy that someone went out there with humor and made them. Otherwise, maybe I would never change. Or maybe I never would, you know, I, I would never be a different person. And it's good to see that. It's good to see how ridiculous it is. Here, I think uh, um, Schiffer was really out there for the non-Jews. Uh, he, th- you're right. There were some Jews that were in the audience, maybe some from Jews that went for some reason. But I think he's playing to the Gentile crowd. He's playing, to, and, and, and I think your note that you wrote to me, um, and I, I can read it to you, that's uh, your own words, you think that in, in some ways um, this is a uh, free and guilt-free chance for vicarious anti-Semitism. Here's a Jew doing this. I could sit there and watch it, and I can feel good, and nobody's going to call me an anti-Semite. So let me just say, I mean, as a shrink, I watched the whole thing simply because I was spellbound by the dynamics, not by the scatology as such. I found the scatology infantile, by the way, and not entertaining. He has an incident there saying that he was in yeshiva in Israel post high school, and something went wrong with the timer on his overhead light Friday night, and it was getting on his nerves. And he said, I just have to close it. And he said, wait a moment, how can I close it? It's Shabbos. He says, well, I don't believe in God. So that sounds like an evolution of sorts where you have a practical concern and that makes you decide what your beliefs are. That's basically Leon Festinger on cognitive dissonance ploy. And that just offhand should produce a lot of guilt. If you decide you don't believe in God and then you say, I'm going to go close lights, that's fine. But if you decide to close lights and then convince yourself you don't believe in God, that's going to cause a lot of guilt. And he is trying to expiate his guilt by just 
yelling and screaming and getting validation from all people who are laughing with him, which to him means that it's a tacit agreement that he's right. But he is he's in the throes of feeling very uncomfortable. I mean, that's clear in terms of his dynamics. He doesn't seem to be, and let's stop really talking about him, I think, after this. He doesn't seem to be a very jolly, happy human being. He definitely no. doesn't. No, he's a very upset human being. Okay, so, so let's, let's move away from that. Let's just talk about the theory. Let's forget the Jews. You have a group that somehow is gravitating towards humor that knocks themselves. And the question is, where does that come from? And I, and, and this was something that was fit for analysis, even in the early Borscht Belt days. They would get up there and they would um, talk about the Jew. These are all people already second generation or third generation. And they would talk about the Jew. And of course, they would put on this heavy accent and they would have this Jew possess all the st- negative stereotypes that they can think of are there and people would be laughing. So what's the lambdas there? What's what's the theory? So according to, um, I mean, basically what Freud had come up with, and which has been quite borne out in other kinds of neuroses, one of the ideas are that when I'm a vaudeville comedian making fun of the traditional Jew, I'm basically distancing myself from him. I'm saying I am making fun of him because to me, he's a stranger. He's not really who I am. So that's a way of defending yourself. Like you might think I'm cheap. You might think I uh, am doctrinaire or whatever kind of negative stereotypes you have. And I'm telling you I'm not to the point that I'm actually laughing at them. I'm poking fun of them in front of everybody, maybe even in front of non-Jews. That's one way to look at it. And that has a ghastly parallel, which is um, the capos in the um, German death camps, who would basically, according to um, Katzettler, according to people who actually lived through it, they would describe as being much more vicious, gratuitously vicious towards Jews than some of the, na- the Nazis were. Okay, and there it was clearly based on the notion, "I'm not you." And then there's another sequel to this, which is related dynamically, but it looks different, and that is that. There's a phenomenon, again, I think I actually used this example when I gave you my original idea on humor. There's a scene where Abbott is chasing Costello with a huge stick. And um, Costello, of course, is running on his little legs, you know, making headways. And finally, he runs into a blind alley and he's stuck. And Abbott is facing him with his big stick and Costello grabs the stick from Abbott and hits himself on the head. And he says, now what are you going to do? All right. So by the same token, when you have an aggressor against which you have no recourse or the parallel here, you have organized society which just hates Jews. There's nothing you can do. One thing you can do is, so to speak, identify with the aggressor and join in the aggression against Jews. So in that case, the people I'm making fun of are not necessarily them. They're me. But I am hitting myself. And somehow taking the sting away from being hit by someone else. It's like people who would much rather take a thorn out themselves than have somebody take the thorn out for them. Dynamically, there are explanations because while you pretend to be vicious against yourself, you still are moderating it some and not being as nasty as the guy would really be. 
So it, it really moves away from humor just to a general defensiveness of dealing with a hostile world. I would say a classic example, uh, although he was a great stand-up comic as well, but a, a classic example of this is Woody Allen's whole mm-hmm. movie, and especially the last part of what you're saying in terms of being the architect of how he's going to be put down. He's a mm-hmm. nebbish, he's a schlepper, he's a guy who needs therapy, he's a person who gets divorced all the time, he's a person that, but on the other hand, he's able to, within that, I'm the nebbish schlepper who's got these neuroses, he's still the hero of many of his films. And he's also a thief who makes off with all the possible evaluations someone can do, so now he's in charge. With the understanding that he can turn it off, he can't really turn it off because he's psychologically fixated into it. But the theory is I can turn it off if I want to. I'm in charge. In fact, I'm the major theoretician. I'm the major constructor of what humor is these days. So it's all part of me. Sure. Yeah. So and therefore, even though, you know, it's clear that Woody is a, is, is an outgrowth of the, the Jewish humor uh, history that he actually started with. But I think he pushed the envelope in terms of, as you say, you want someone flawed, I'm flawed. You want somebody who isn't strong, you know, who looks like a weakling, somebody who can't get anything done. So he was willing to really to... But with the implicit punchline, now what are you going to do? That's right. There's nothing left for you to do now. Especially, well, especially since then he could sit back and get the accolades. Now we know, again, again, this is not a program to probe these comic psyche, but you know where Woody, of course, what his history is now, whatever he's been accused of. I mean, I'm he's not a saying, bonafide disturbed neurotic, which yeah. I'm sure he's very proud of. Yes. And whether he was actually guilty of what Ronan Farrow and Mia and others have said he clearly is not a healthy human being, and he's someone who took his, even though you would say, oh, look look how helpless I am, this wasn't necessarily the means for him to fix himself. He didn't there's fix some, himself. There's an odd comment I once heard from uh, a, a Hasid about the Hasidish stories they tell about Rebus, and he said, look, I'm not saying that any of this is true, but I can be very sure that it could have been true. So I would say the question about Woody Allen, what what he did or did not do in his real life, he definitely is capable of it because he's so much removed from the standard norms that people are held to. I want to mention one other point, which is kind of an interesting theory about humor, and that is that when somebody is persecuted to the point they have no way out, that the best defense is, is to start acting totally irrationally which means you can't get me with any logic. You can't get me with any accusations because I'm as crazy as a bed bug. And part of that is seen when people start hitting themselves, hurting themselves, making fun of themselves. It's almost like saying, you know, I'm not even in the parachute. You can say what you want to. It's not going to get me because look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm in a totally different dimension. I'm on a different planet. I don't relate to you. I think I'm a Martian. So there is yeah. some of that involved as well. Right. And again, ju- just, just to give you a, a, examples of that of in Jewish comics, Richard Lewis was someone who, I, who pushed the envelope that way, where he was, you know. Well, Rickles, Don Rickles, I think, had a lot of that also. Well, Don, I think, 
you know, he he was an insult comic. So, you know, his his insults, you know, he, the barrage of insults that he kept on generating. But you're right, he became almost a different type of being. Sometimes you can become a funny man like the fool in Lear and somehow be the bearer of a truth and still sanitize yourself or make yourself Well, immune. you're basically yeah. exempt because you're you're a nut. You don't right. even know so, what you're saying. Or you might be the bearer of a greater truth sometimes, like like Lear's fool, or I will say even Harpo Marx. I mean, Harpo Marx in the Marx Brothers uh, was clearly the most bizarre of the brothers. And, you know, he, he was so careful to uh, keep his public persona. He, he almost never allowed himself to be recorded speaking. He wanted to be this mute, beyond person, you know, who could take a tea kettle out of one pocket and take a seal out of the other pocket, you know, and, and in a way, you know, that, that, that image of, of, of being the fool of being the, the sort of like the, almost the Oracle, you know, the, the fool can almost be an Oracle for, as we say, like Chazal tell us, right. That Nabu was given to Shaita Miktan. And I think that can play out that, and, and that I, I think is, uh, again, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, I think that's another you know, as you say, kids yeah. do the same thing. A kid in a classroom. Sure, I'm only jo- I was only joking. Yeah. Only or joking. or by becoming the class clown, he's able, in a way, to sort of remove himself from the normal dynamic. We should also start, I mean, this, this is probably obvious to all our listeners, but the idea of saying nasty things in jest is just a way of getting things off your chest with a qualification saying, don't blame me, I'm only kidding. I mean, that's obvious that um, much of humor, much of people when they laugh about humor is because somebody said something for them that was nasty, that they've always been thinking. And now they can basically experience it and say, yeah. And then comes the qualification, nah, but this was just a joke. So don't feel too guilty about it. That's, I mean, that's the obvious way of, of dealing with it. I mean, that's the basis before we get into all these sub theories. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, I think both of us, uh, for different reasons, um, you know, don't applaud or consider significant what we were talking about in the beginning, the type of in-your-face uh, racist or really ugly and, and aggressive and scatological type of humor. But I think that both of us also agree that the wooden-like seriousness in many ways permeates general communal discussions is also really something that should be burst. We should inject humor, much more humor, into even very serious issues that we're dealing with all the time. But I, I, would, I would say a little bit further, since I am concerned with mental health, I think that pretending that the issues that the, the, the most banal comic raises don't concern us is not true. So I, 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 I want to talk about one example that Ari talked about, okay? There's a medrash around, or it's an interpretation of the Pasuk, which might actually be quite literal, that Adam felt very frustrated because he could not find a sexual mate among all the animals. And of course, he starts, you know, pouring all kinds of fire and brimstone. Now, what the hell is this all about? What's with them? Okay. That bothers people. When regular people, regular Torah observing people hear that madrash, it ruffles their feathers and they just suppress it. It would be nice for them to say, you know, this really does not make sense to me from a current day perspective. 
but either it's some kind of sod or some kind of drash, or maybe it made sense before that because Adam was not really developed as a fully... No, it's something rather than just put it out of your mind. Okay. So you're saying... I'm saying it's it's in a sense therapeutic to be able to say, I'm not saying it's therapeutic to be crazy, like a comic who just starts going nuts with the theme, but just to say, hey, you know, this is something that I'm a little bit uncomfortable about, okay? Or people might say, I'm a little bit, I'm, say you're a, somebody who's a lover of animals. I'm uncomfortable with this whole Besamikdash thing. You're walking around, blood up to your ankles. I mean, I understand it makes sense religiously, but I am uncomfortable. Rather than pretending everything is hunky-dory, or you go out there in a uh, city where there was a lot of Avadizara and you start killing people like nuts, or Moshe telling people everybody start killing your relatives or whatever, they're part of the ego. Hey, you know, that's something that I'm not so... I, I was once astounded that um, somebody once asked the Satmar Rebbe, you know, what would you do if you were living in the time of the, uh, I guess, in the base of Migdash and you discovered an Amalekah, he said, I would take a sword and knock his head off. And it startled me, okay? And he wasn't doing anything wrong as such, but to say, hey, okay, I understand him, it raises some issues. Okay. And these comics perform a service because they allow you to vent it, and then you can dismiss it and saying, ha, 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 I don't mean it. Like, hell, you do mean it. Look, I, I agree with you that there is a code of silence and a unwillingness. I would call it an unhealthy code of silence. Yes, to explore the midrashim, hatmuays, and the even the psukim, and even the parshah pshat. And of course, what's I think need to be said, and I'll say it as a sort of a rabbinical person, is the fact that there are svarim that, of course, deal with this. Whether it's the maral, whether it's Menashe ben Yisrael in the in the conciliator. Or others, the morale in, in, the, in, the, in, his, in his very large works, they weren't afraid of these big questions of, you know, how can we justify? And in fact, the but killing- usually you're labeled an Alicia Benavoa for doing it, right? If you come up with an issue saying, "Hey, this doesn't sound right," you're labeled as an apicurus, which is something that anybody, at least, is studying in yeshiva. Right, as somebody who doesn't want to be labeled, and they actually not only keep quiet, but they convince themselves that there's no problem. And then at some point, it comes out like shutting your lights on Shabbos or whatever, and deciding, you know, it will come up. I do think, and again, uh, that it's probably what I'm saying is not true in all cases, but I think in a lot of these cases, part of the problem was the fear is intertwined with an unwillingness to really roll up your sleeves and think about the possible approaches and to go in depth into this idea. Now, you're right. If, I, if I'm going to, there are people who just by nature are going to dismiss uh, allegorical interpretations or the idea that's based on some Kabbalistic framework that mm-hmm. they don't necessarily believe in. And, and you know, Swifkin is a, is a big prophet of this now. There's enough in the rational whether it's Gersonides, Raubag, or even earlier in Eben Ezra and others, that do deal with some of these thorny issues. Some, but just say some. They don't deal yeah. with a lot of them. They yeah. deal with- or Azaria de Rossi in the Morinayim. These people, some of them have been condemned, but they're out there. And I think that there's a difference in the public face of writing an article in the Times of Israel or 
doing a comedy special and studying in a yeshiva and talking about it. I think, Sam, in many, many yeshivas, especially I think in the uh, Mizrahi yeshivas, a lot of these issues are talked about and dealt with. I think if you go on to the Gush... And sometimes squelched really solidly also. But you'd be surprised. Okay. They actually- I, I know this from my patients, okay? I have not learned in many of these yeshivas, but I know it's from my patients. Yeah, but, 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 but I think there is, it's out there. Now, I guess my point is, is that I think there is a, a certain careful balance between what you darshan, like the Mishnah says in Chagiga, privately, or what you're actually going to use as a megaphone to talk about. And I think and see, that- I would like for that to be so. That's fine. But what also happens is that there are limitations on what you're allowed to think, what you're allowed to question. And that to me is something that's an abomination because yeah. there is a solid payoff. Some people actually just end up, you know, saying the heck with it. But many others end up being unwholesomely attached to their creed. They're there. They are definitely part of the fold. They do this. But there's a lot of cranking over there that's going on that often shows up. You know, it spills over into other areas that have nothing to do with the belief system. It spills over into tensions, often tensions with the with your kids, often trying to prove your kids that they're not thinking straight. We're really just using them as a foil to get your ideas out. It's not well thought of. I mean, the idea of thought policing anywhere is horrible for development. Action, fine. And even faith saying, oh, no, don't even say that you have questions about faith, which means don't say it, okay? Which means I'm just going to think it. Now I'm not going to be able to talk about it. And I'll be uh, in a lot of trouble. We're moving away from humor, obviously, but I feel these are the same dynamics. No, no, no. I, but I can tell you, people who get a chance to go to these outlandish comedies will feel much less tension about this quiet and dissonance they feel because actually they vented some of the psychological tension already so they can afford to be repressed. I will just say again that among the real thinkers, and I mentioned some of the medieval ones, but among the real thinkers of today, and I do believe these issues are dealt with. I do believe that people who love learning, especially those that have somewhat of a mystical bent, are willing to take on these things. And whether the answers are completely satisfactory or not, I don't think there is a, that thought police type of attitude. Again, it isn't at the first level. But I think among the people that matter, that count, and I'm not going to say it's every Rosh Hashiva, because that would be that would that would be definitely false. But I think by those, like I'll mention Abdul Schwartzman, uh, I'll mention people like Ramesha Shapiro and others. If you got them one on one and talked to them, you'd see that they would be willing to really deal. Or Rav Yaakov Weinberg, who I uh, or or of Noah, they would be willing to really field almost anything. And really nod their heads. And they wouldn't come out with the club and say, how dare you think this? How dare you say that? Question to you, if I may. Would they encourage students to think that if the students don't bring it up? Does this bother you? Does it bother you that someone who, is, who picks some sticks up gets executed? Does it bother you what they do to a soda? Does it bother you that they give Malchus for I mean, I, 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 whatever. And you can say, no. In other words, I've had this often, like when I do some 
assessment really with some people. And I say, have you ever tried to kill yourself? And the spouse freaks out or the father freaks out. And I say, I'm not going to give this guy any ideas that he's not thought of before. I'm just trying to get him to acknowledge what's going on. So the real proof of the Rosh Hashivas, if I may say it, is do they tell people, hey, this is something to think about. And let me tell you, I have some issues with the reform movement, but I like the questions they pose. Like how, I I remember once I was at a sermon and the person was just at tears. He says, how am I supposed to reconcile the attitude of abomination towards gay people when they are born? Okay, I'm not going to debate the deep presumption, but they're born that way. And how are you calling them an abomination? What are you doing here? So there are some great responses. I've heard like um, Mayor Fund has, uh, there are some great responses, but for raising the issue, they get a, a gold star as far as I'm concerned. And for someone who is not bothered, they'll say, no, I'm not bothered by it. But not to just, I mean, these issues should be raised. And also most kids, most Orthodox yeshiva boys today, post high school, do have many of the Western values, at least as a foil in their thinking. So they should be told, well, how does this jive? How does this make sense to you? Does it make sense to destroy Shiva Amin just because you want to take over their nation? And not just the, the, the fighting men, everybody, including the, do- including the dogs. Does that make sense to you? Okay, and they might say, yeah, no, but at least my issue is not to start the thoughts. My issue is to give them license to think the thoughts that you know damn well they're thinking. Well, as I said, I, I think in the good places, and I think especially the cottage industry. You have to end with something funny, by the way. We can't leave it this way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think what, what's obvious from all this is that the dynamics of humor and the dynamics of coming up with various critiques and the dynamics of trying to repress your thoughts or your feelings are really one big cake. The issue is we want to have a mechanism where we can express our discomfort with accepted mores, which we play fealty to. We feel attached to it, but we have to be able to express some disquiet and some discomfort. And there are different ways of doing it. And humor is a great way of doing it. It would be nice if we had permits within the system allowing you to say, like, for instance, how often is a child asked, what do you hate about your mother? (gasps) How can you say that? And I think it's a very legitimate question. And if you don't express it, that child is going to have loads of guilt for having such ideas. Whereas when you express it, then it becomes clear, yes, I have that about my mother too. Everybody has it about their mother. That doesn't mean you're going to go beat her up. That doesn't mean you hate her. But there are certain aspects of her that really you don't like. Okay. And I think it's just as important at a PTA for a parent to ask, what are the real problems my kid has rather than how well is he doing? Okay. And that doesn't mean that I don't like my kid. It just means that. I'm going to think those thoughts anyway. I might as well deal with them in an adaptive way. So I think humor is great. It's a great um, mechanism of coming up with it. Sometimes people who push it too far will start feeling guilty because the humor is not enough of a disguise. But the intent is great. I mean, I'm all for it. Well, as we say, it is not only the best medicine, but for many people, it's the salve that really allows them to face. For many people, unfortunately, it's the only medicine they can afford to take. It allows them to get back up in the morning and, and face the world. So 
that's part of the reason why it's, it's, it's still with us. So take care, Sam. We'll catch you. Hopefully, uh, keep laughing, keep smiling. We'll catch you, Mitchell. <laughs> next time. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.